You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This, to, this me, to me, is, is like, 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 like the really fascinating, fascinating material. material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind We can't just believe that it was the work of these lone troubled individuals. And like a conspiracy theorist would look at that and say, well, they, the, the Illuminati or somebody planned this right now. Public Enemy fan, Nick? No, I'm only like punk music. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. I saw that uh, Johnny Rotten was wearing a Make America Great Again shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Huh? Do you remember, you remember that from a couple weeks ago? No, I don't actually. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was, well, you know, John Lydon, he was out there um, somewhere like in California or something, and he was wearing a Make America Great Again t-shirt, and somebody took a oh, picture well. of him leaning out of a window. Created quite the controversy. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I bet it did. <laughs> I thought that was interesting as, like, as, as kind of, like, anti-establishment as he is, but I guess he's trying to, like, kind of troll people, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, um, it's going to be, we're going to talk about the Paranormal Parasites book. The, um, so th- this is uh, which book number is this? Have you have you um, counted? Well, that was like about forty-eight, I think, and um, then it, early next year it'll be sort of around about fifty, I think. Oh, okay. I've kind of lo- lost track as as well as being the author. You know, I just 
<laughs> I'm still not. I'm not sure myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stories in this one. Uh, this is kind of a. Well, yeah, I mean, it was you know, it was a, a story really that you know when you are we started? Are we started or not? Oh yeah, we're started. Oh okay. Yeah, I was just going to say that you know when you sort of writing a book or planning on a book, you want to be able to give the reader something new. And um, you know, as a as well as being a writer of books, I'm, I'm a reader of books as well. So, you know, I sort of appreciate what, hopefully, what, um, you know, readers want, which is something new. And so, you know, over the years, I'd sort of collected a number of stories that sort of fell into this uh, sort of paranormal parasite category. And over the time, you know, the, the numbers got up more. So I thought, well, why not do a whole book on it, you know, covering all the various different types of entities and creatures and demonstrate this sort of i guess under undercovered um area you know the paranormal a lot of people perhaps you know weren't even aware of this angle of it all yeah that's um it's something that i've been interested in for a while just that whole concept of how these entities can feed off of people yeah basically um it, it, this is something that, I mean, you talk about this, actually, I think the first book that I can think of well, that I've read by you that I can think of is a, we've talked about on the show is Final Events. And that's, oh, yeah. that's, there's a lot of this in that, actually. Yeah, you're right, there is. And, um, you know, you can actually find a lot of cases, of, you know, when people have encounters with paranormal creatures, entities, whatever you want to ter uh, term them you do often find there's sort of this negative angle, you know, when there's this sort of confrontation or encounters where people do fall sick, you know, they get ill and there's sort of runs of bad luck and, you know, just disasters as if, as if sort of like a, like a dark cloud has come over them, but in the same way, it's sort of physically affected them as well. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of look at the kind of like the broad or like the the the, def the definition of a paranormal parasite, like what that means. Yeah, sure. Well, basically, um, although I sort of cover a lot of different things in the book, like the black-eyed children, the shadow people, men in black, women in black, you know, the list goes on. The actual um, sort of encounters uh, aren't really that different. It's just the entities that are different. Now, what typically happens is that someone, usually a lot of these encounters occur in sort of like the dead of night, you know, sort of 1, 2, 3 a.m., that kind of time. And um, people see these sort of paranormal creatures in the bedroom very often. And the, the person or the victim, however you want to term them, suddenly starts to feel sort of weak and lacking in energy and... Um, and just, you know, just feel kind of really ill as if they're, literally as if their life force is being drained from them. And um, this is something I've received in stories time and time again, where people, you know, they, they're in this high state of fear and anxiety, you know, and adrenaline's pumping around the body. And it's almost as if these entities deliberately try and get the person into that state of terror and fear. And then they in essence feed on it you know they quite literally sort of feed on it to where people have felt as if these creatures were at the time of seeing them it was like you know their, their life force was being sucked out of them and um 
and that the feeling in some cases goes on for days and days you know the people feel as if they got the worst dose of the flu you know where they can't barely get from the couch to the kitchen or whatever um so that, that's sort of the like the overall um angle if you like that the, the book takes that these things may actually sort of use us in a very strange way but as almost as like a, as a food source if you you look at it like that yeah they elicit the fear response and in that yeah, way and I think that's feed part on it of this. Mm-hmm. yeah do you, do you see um kind of on the obverse of that though are there any that kind of maybe elicit like a positive response from people and feed off of that like a positive energy um, have you well, encountered that well i guess the closest i can think of is where people have had you know they encountered again paranormal entities but where there is the response has been positive where the person has sort of had this sort of um feeling sort of literally in seconds that they need to sort of change their life and go down a different pathway and you know in many respects their lives have been changed for the better now it's not a case of you know sort of instilling them with some sort of energy boost or anything like that like the opposite of the paranormal parasites but there are a lot of cases where people claim to have had encounters with aliens abduction stories things like that where overnight they've you know they've changed their uh, style of living um you know they've sort of gone on a more um less on sort of just a you know just rather than being me 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 you know they were sort of felt driven to sort of help other people you know and things like this so and in those sort of cases you know there it, it is very much like a positive experience where they feel transformed you know but um you know, but that doesn't sort of relate to, you know, the exact opposite of what we're talking about. You know, it's not like they're sort of injected with, you know, sort of positive energy. It's just, it's more the thought is put in the mind that, you know, you need to do this or do that. Yeah, the whole parasite, I mean, that, that word has a negative connotation anyway. Yeah, you're right, it does. And I mean, even even the word itself, you know, kind of conjures up like some sort of, you know, sort of creature just sort of latching onto you and sucking you dry, you know. Yes, sucking the, sucking your life force out of you, basically. Yeah. Um, so this energy that you kind of speculate in this book, what that could be, like what kind of energy that they these entities could be feeding off of us. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look out through um, numerous cultures around the world going back not just centuries but thousands of years um many of these cultures believe that there are these sort of um natural energies if you like um within the within the human body which you know can be sort of utilized in in different ways you know and in terms of how um you know we we sort of use these energies possibly not even um you know having awareness of what they what they really are but i mean for example um for example um yoga people who, who sort of study yoga i mean they talk a lot about prana which yeah. is sort of be, to be this sort of um you know almost like a supernatural energy itself uh which the human body 
um, sort of requires uh, for sort of the human mind and the human consciousness to work properly. And um, they, they basically, um, the, the, the idea is that different energy sources can in, in different ways sort of aid, you know, the skin, the organs of the body, um, the mental health and things like this. In other words, um, it's more along the lines of sort of um, of your mindset being in the right way to apply these different energies, like, for example, prana, and there's another one uh, called apana, um, which, again, if you look into the ancient stories and, um, and, and legends of, you know, of, of ancient uh, civilizations, um, they all had these kind of similar beliefs that the body itself wasn't just all there was. You know, it weren't just sort of flesh, bone, blood, skin, etc. Um, now, for example, in Hinduism, um, they have a tradition of what's called samana, and um, that is supposedly if you know that your if your samana uh, energy levels are high, that means basically you're very very kind of healthy. You're eating the right foods. Uh, a lack of samana and eating sort of fast food, junk food, caffeine, things like that, lower your samana levels. And so, you know, I mean, you can look at it two ways. Yes, these energies are real, or, you know, the by living sort of a healthy lifestyle and, and following the belief systems, you could still, you know, you, you could still uh, have sort of a healthy life. So, you know, if, if you, when you look at it, though, one of the intriguing things is that, you know, whether it's um, like South American tribes, uh, Native Americans, um, uh, India, Pakistan, um, China, Japan, they all, regardless of the different names, they all come down to different energies that reportedly feed different parts of the human body and the mind. And if those energies are depleted or in the cases of like paranormal parasites, if they're de depleted deliberately, um, then then you start to get sick. You know, I mean, you can look at things from the from the very down to earth explanations. Like, for example, you know, you have a young girl, for example, who's got bulimia. You know, and ends up with anemia because her body's just depleted of, of food. You know. Um, but for the for the ancients, there was more to it than that. It was a case of sort of balancing the body with these with these supernatural energies and not, you know, sort of um, ending up in the gutter, so to speak. Yeah, and you also talk about orgone energy too, which I thought was was pretty interesting. Kind yeah. of the the um, likening it to these ideas of like prana, um, like this well, like yeah, sexual I mean, energy. Yeah, well, the whole issue with orgone energy um, really uh, goes back to Dr. Wilhelm Reich. And he was someone who, very controversial guy and, and, and well ahead of his time, and uh, died young in the 1950s. But um, he was someone who, who came to believe and realized that there were these um, different kinds of energies um, sort of flowing around the, the human body. And although he sort of looked into a lot of different areas and angles, the one that sort of really drew him 
in was what he called orgone energy. And it was basically um, the idea of, of utilizing sort of sexual energy uh, in a positive fashion. You know, I mean, you see some, some countries where, you know, um, sexuality is sort of frowned upon and, um, you know, a lot of draconian rules and laws and that kind of thing. And Wright came to believe that, you know, if you were sort of had a positive mindset, you didn't have hang-ups and things like this, that all of this could actually have a, a bearing upon the, the so-called um, orgone energy. And the more that he sort of dug into this, the more that he found having this sort of positive um, approach to sex and being, you know, closed-minded and et cetera, et cetera, he came to believe, or conclude, I should say, that the, the stronger the levels of orgone energy, the more healthy a person would be. And, um, and he wrote a number of books um, on this particular uh, subject and, um, and made an interesting case for the possibility that, you know, a relaxed mind, an open mind, etc., etc., actually has a, a major bearing on, you know, on, the, on the body as well. And so, but of course, one of the, the problems was that, um, you know, he, he came up with his own um, sort of medicines and treatments and so on which weren't um, sort of, um, as far as the FDA was concerned, they frowned on it because, you know, it wasn't sort of, uh, you know, legal or certainly, you know, um, stamped um, things that he, that he was selling and so on. And he ended up in jail as a result of, of peddling, as they saw it, you know, um, uh, you know cocktail substances, which they looked down on, and he died in prison. Snake oil. They would have called it snake oil, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a snake oil situation where, um, you know, he he was sort of, you know, placed in a in a situation in jail where, you know, all his books were burned and um, and he kind of just almost gave up. You know, it was like um, he just couldn't take what was being dished out to him. But I mean, if you look at his work and the results and the people who he worked with, you know, and the um, the volunteers who helped, they were all concluded, you know, that this positive energy could literally kind of have a, a majorly uh, substantial um, effect on people's health. But of course, you know, with a lot of people who sort of look down at alternative health systems with like a frown you know they look at it as well what actually is this that's where um basically uh Reich had his you know how he came to fall because it was people sort of perceiving him as as you said like a, you know like a, a snake oil guy yeah he got in trouble with the fda i think right Wasn't yes he did happened? and yeah. um yeah, he was. But what he was basically doing, he was transporting these technologies and um, and items, you know, that he was selling, and he was selling them like across the borders. Or going um, accumulators you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, or going accumulators, and um, and he, what he was doing, he was selling them, you know, going over from state by state, which was illegal, and he was actually sort of snared in a trap where somebody wanted to buy one in a different state. And it actually turned out to be a like a government official. Or going accumulator um, sting. Then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, what happened was, you know, they he was pulled into sort of this trap, 
and uh, and then charges were brought against him. Went to jail and had a tar- had a heart attack in jail and, and died there as well. And um, and as I said, the sort of the I guess the most outrageous aspect of all his his books, you know, his own books that he's written. Bear in mind, this was only the fifties. You know, we're not talking two hundred years ago. His books were all burned, which is you know, which is pretty incredible when you think of it like that. Do you think he was on to something, Nick? Do you think that he? I mean, I know he's a very controversial figure, but do you think he was probably yeah. on to some reality personally i actually do i think he was onto something i don't think he had all the answers by the time um you know that he was that he was dead for sure but i mean i do think that he was onto something particularly in relation to how people who you know had had sort of ailments and illnesses throughout their lives whether psychological or physical that by using for example like the the organ accumulator, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was, um, you know, in essence, um, he was perceiving it that he was having a, a solid, um, you know, sort of uh, effect upon these people, even if he didn't at the early stages um, sort of really, um, you know, sort of take off in the way that they actually did. But I mean, the more that he looked into this, the more he sort of created different terms for some of these energies. One of them were called bions, and mm-hmm. they were said to be sort of like small sacks of energy that could kind of morph into one-celled entities. And he said there were two kinds of bions, the reds and the blues. And he said they were sort of, um, as he saw it at least, under the microscope, it was almost as like two uh, competing viruses, you know, one trying to beat the other but they were actually um sort of cells if you like um that would actually um sort of rejuvenate the human body and um so he was going down some really controversial areas and and certainly some of it you know was based on his own words and theories you know and um so the extent to which um you know the had he survived and had his work not been sort of clamped down who knows you know where we could be, but he came to believe, you know, that um, orgone could uh, can, uh, could basically sort of cure cancer and psychological conditions, sexual anxieties, neuroses, and much more. In other words, it would have an, a primary effect on the mind, but then that when the mind starts to repair itself, the body does as well. You know, it's kind of like in you know, in, in just in the regular world, if you have someone who has say panic attacks you know, their mind is in a total state of panic, but living in a state of total panic and stress will also have a physical effect on your body as well, like your blood pressure, ulcers, things like that. Right. So in that sense, you know, the mind itself really can be very destructive to the body. And an effect on the environment too. Like we have an effect Mm -hmm. on our environment. Something that really interested me that you kind of put together for me there was uh, I'm real casual with Reich. I haven't studied a whole lot. I've just mostly, I've especially haven't read his writings, just read about him secondhand. But it's usually presented like he was into this Oregon stuff and then he was also really into sexual liberation. And yeah. it's like the secondary thing. Uh, but now that you're you're kind of like putting it together for me, he was actually, I'm sure they were like tied in some kind of, especially influenced by the Eastern Kundalini kind of stuff. And 
yes, he was, yeah. Sort of like uh, like um, today, you know, things like tantric sex, um, you know, um, he had he was he uh, you know was someone who um, sort of encouraged you know open sex and um, you know he was also someone who felt that it wasn't important that you've got to be married at 25 and have kids at 30 or whatever you know he <laughs> felt that um, being pushed into that sort of category you know that um, you you know birth school work death kind of thing you know um, he was someone who felt that society had sort of placed these almost restrictions on us of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live you know and um and and as i said he had a very open um approach to things you know for example like um like swinging you know and having open relationships and you know whatever sexual um preferences you fix. had you know providing you weren't hurting anyone etc that you should follow it and he felt that the pressure to be quote normal so to speak um was not the way to live it was almost like we're living in chains because we're forced to do that you know it makes you wonder what he, you know if he had lived and seen the 60s how you know people <laughs> well, broadly... the is, yeah had he lived into the 60s yeah i think would have been championed as almost like as a as a guru for all right. you know for uh sexual um like liberation you know yeah kind of like timothy leary or some of the other yeah kind of people yeah well you know you, the the organ the energy is interesting and being sexual energy is interesting because you you talk about something i had never even heard of before which is lovers lane beasts but oh, yeah. it's interesting mm -hmm. nick because as i was reading your book we had a guy on a local guy here in nashville named chad coleman he started talking about on the show that we did with him about uh, people seeing weird creatures at lovers' lanes, and I thought that was—I was like, "Wow, that's an—that's a synchronicity." <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people don't know about this, but you can—you know—if you Google like paranormal plus lovers' lane, you know, yeah. um, you'll find a lot of really interesting stories. Now, most—you know—most places around the world you know, have like a, a lover's lane type place where, um, you know, where people go on a, on a Saturday night. I, I think that, you know, they do it less today than they did in sort of the, you know, the 50s, 60s and 70s and sure, so on. Yeah. But, um, you know, you can find them all over the place. And um, I mean, where I grew up as a kid in England, there was one like about two miles away and it was like a, a like a large hill. And, uh, you know, there were no lights up there, but there was winding roads and a big car park. And, of course, everybody does what everybody does, you know. And um, But what's interesting is that um, in a lot of cases where people have seen um, strange entities, supernatural beings, monsters, you know, whether it's um, Bigfoot-type creatures, Mothman, um, the, the stories of goat men and things like this, all around the world, when people have been at sort of like a lover's lane location, um, making out, having sex, um, then suddenly these creatures appear out of nowhere, you know, and it's, you know, somebody's in the, you know, couple in the car, and then suddenly they see this shadow in front of the hood, and there's this sort of seven to eight foot tall Bigfoot type creature. Uh, or, for example, you know, just about everybody's probably heard of the Mothman 
of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which was first seen in 1966 in the in this little town of uh, little city, I should say, Point Pleasant. Now, the original witnesses were actually out at a, um, a closed-down TNT plant, the military, uh, which very sort of dark and desolate and surrounded by trees, etc. And the first witnesses to the Mothman in Point Pleasant were out at one of these Lovers Lanes locations. So one of the things I talk about in the in the book is how it's clearly way too convenient for you know bunches of people out at these Lovers Lane locations, and then suddenly these strange creatures pop up. It, there's no way it can just be coincidence all around the world and so for that reason i think these entities kind of turn up where or somehow they're able to target in on high states of of sexual energy in the same kind of thing that reich was looking at but these beings these creatures seem to have a much stronger hold on all this and it's almost like radar you know they home in on this high state of, of sexual energy and then possibly feed on that as well you know it's almost it's almost like you know the analogy of pulling up at the gas station and fueling up your truck you know because you know where the gas station is it's kind of like that that the sexual energy is so strong these things can pick up on it and then drain us of it I guess it makes sense. It's like in biology, every single, almost every single thing will have something else come along and feed on it. Um, yeah. So in if you know if there are spiritual realms or these weird uh, intersections of spiritual and physical realms, like uh, some kind of energy that's tied to consciousness or something, then yeah, then then why wouldn't there be an ecosystem there? And you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's how nature works, you know, where something comes along and eats something and then the, it gets eaten, you know, and, um, the, you know, the food chain is what keeps everybody going, you know, whether you're an animal, a person, a vegetarian, a meat eater, everybody mm-hmm. has to have something to survive and live, you know, whether, like I said, you're a meat eater, you're a vegetarian, you're a vegan or whatever, um, you cannot live without eating something. Nothing can, basically. And, you know, depending on where you are on the food chain, you've got a better chance of surviving or not. And I think with us, we don't really give much thought to the idea that we could be the prey. You know, we can see, <laughs> we see us as like the yeah. predator. You know, there's nothing better than us, that kind of approach, you know, which is sort of like a typical yeah. <laughs> egotistical thing. But, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there are a lot of animals on the planet that we really would not stand a chance against. You know, I mean, you go into the a lion's den, and it's like, well, good luck getting out of it. You know, um, you'll get t- torn apart. There's a lot of animals which are far stronger than us and which we physically cannot compete with. But, you know, I guess with our technology, you know, we, we can find a way, you know, to, to avoid that from happening. Other animals are unable to, you know, come up with technologies to prevent themselves from being attacked. But, but we don't think of ourselves as, you know, as something to be put on the plate. You know, we look at it as we're the ones who are filling the plate. You know? Yeah, we're top of the food chain. One of these, yeah. um, one of these, I, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
No, I was just going to say we may not be if you right. know, but it's right with us. We realise it because we're not being physically fed on, and I think for a lot of people who have these experiences and they feel wiped out the next day, probably a lot of them don't think, "Oh, I've just been paranormally." digested they just think that was a horrible nightmare and it kept me awake and stressed me out and that's why i'm tired so a lot of people i think don't realize this phenomenon is actually going on and don't realize it for what it really is the goat man that was one of the lovers lane beasts that you mentioned yeah plenty well, of symbolism enough, there um, what's that plenty of symbolism there well, yeah, because, I mean, the goat man sort of goes way back to sort of like Greek, ancient Greek folklore, mm-hmm. you know, with the satires, mm-hmm. as they were called, which were these, um, like, humanoid figures, but with, like, goat-like um, attributes, sort of like hoofs, you know, and horns. Um, and they, for example, um, were sort of like highly sexual animals. Um, and what's interesting is that there are a number of Goatman stories where people have seen things like the ancient Greek satires in various parts of the United States uh, at Lover's Lane locations. I mean, ironically, coincidentally, um, where I live, just outside Dallas, um, about a 30-minute drive from me, maybe a little bit less than that, there's a, a little town called Lake Worth. And yeah. they have a legend of a Goatman going back to the 60s uh, where this strange creature was seen rampaging around the woods and it became known as the Goatman for obvious reasons, you know, how it looked. But the first witnesses were out at Lake... Lake Worth is the name of the town, but there's also the, 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 the lake in Lake Worth. is also called Lake Worth, so it's a bit confusing. But back then, today, it's like, like, it's like a wildlife area you can drive around in, but the government owns it. Back then kids were just driving around you know at night and having a good time and it was back in the 60s actually 69 next year will be the 50th anniversary um that they started to see this sort of goat man satire type creature when they were sort of making out in the cars so you know this is another example um not just of entities um sort of feeding on you know people in these lovers lane locations but also a tie-in that goes right, right back with the, you know, the satires and, and Greek mythology and, um, and sort of the sexual angle of these creatures as well. Isn't there a Lake Worth monster too? Isn't there? Well, actually, it's the same. It's the same thing. The Some same people thing? call okay. it the goat okay. because that's okay. how it looks. But other people call it the Lake Worth monster. But it's actually, you know, it's kind of like Bigfoot and Sasquatch. You know, it's the same. It's two names for one thing, but. Um, but some people, um, as I said, called it the goat man because that's how it looked. But because of the location, others called it the Lake Worth monster. And funnily enough, or coincidentally enough, um, the first person who ever actually wrote an article um, about the Lake Worth goat man was the um, conspiracy researcher, Jim Mars, who died um, last year. And um, oh, really? he was the first yeah. one. Yeah, he used to work for the um, Fort Worth. Um, ju- journal, I think the newspaper was, and he was the first one to to write um, a newspaper story on the Lake Worth Goatman. The Black Eyed Children. This is one uh, we talked uh, like this was way back when we first started. We talked to David Weatherly about this because he had you know had the, oh, yeah. the book out at the time. And you talk about this as being another one of these creatures that drains energy. I know we've we've also talked about this a little bit 
with you kind of like about the men in black as well so what's your thoughts on this old black guy children thing i mean is there from your research is there something to it oh yeah i mean um i mean david's a good friend of mine and we sort of um hang out like i don't know two or three four times a year at conferences and things like that and um David, um, you know, when David told me he was writing this book on the Black Eyed Children, you know, he asked me if I would be willing to, you know, write the introduction for it. And I knew that David had sort of got a lot of data and, you know, he's a very good researcher. So I thought, well, yeah, sure, I'll be happy to do the introduction. And um, But it was only when I started reading the book that I realized the sort of the sheer scale of reports that David had been able to put together all across the country, you know, and it was clear that there was some sort of phenomenon was developing and, and very quickly that um, sort of took off in the late 90s with a, a journalist um, in Abilene, Texas named Brian Bethel, um, who had his own sort of creepy encounter with two black-eyed kids late at night. The story was put on the internet and then it kind of took off from there, you know, so it's been around roughly about 20 years, but it's definitely picked up more um, you know, interest in certainly in the last five, seven, eight years, ten years thereabouts. Um, and the the black eyed children, for people who don't know, uh, they're called the black eyed children because when people see these weird looking kids, their the entire eye is totally black. Not just the middle part, I mean, but the entire eye is black. And um, they very often wear these sort of dark hoodies. Um, which they sort of pull down right towards their eyebrows. And they, when they're talking to people, they sort of look at the floor. So you can barely get to see them properly. And typically what they do, they'll knock on the door late at night. And of course, like most people, you know, if there's a loud knock on the door at nine o'clock, you think, who on earth's that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, that, you know, you just look through the security, the spy hole, you know, on the door and... Um, and you see these two kids there, and people always get this weird vibe from them. Um, they don't want to open the door, you know. They, all they see is these kids with sort of skin that's like the sheet, of, like the color of a sheet of paper, you know, like white, white, uh, like as if they're sort of deathly ill. And uh, then they get a catch an eye, you know, catch a look at those uh, black eyes, and they definitely don't want to let them in then. But there's some real, not, in most cases, they don't get in the house. What they typically try and do, they try and get to the person inside to invite them in, which kind of sounds like the old vampire right. parallels mm-hmm. and legends, you know, where mm-hmm. the vampire can't enter the home until you invite them in. Now, they often say things like, we're homeless, we're hungry, can we come in? Or will you let us in? Um, or you know, um, we need to phone our parents, uh, we're lost, that kind of thing. We want to and, read. All, That's a, that was another one. Yeah. That I, uh, yeah. You let us in, we'd like yeah. to read. <laughs> yeah. And, and always, you know, the, the things they say always kind of sound a little bit odd as well. And yeah, as if right. It's all like it's scripted, you know, as, rather than just spontaneous talking. Um in most of the cases, although the witnesses usually do get to see them, whether they open the door, you know, and just leave the chain on, whether, you know, they, st- they see the eyes, they see the face, and they get terrified and shut the door. That's what happens in most cases. But there are a few where it was as if the black-eyed kids had, have, had been able to sort of mind control or hypnotize the person into opening the door. And in three or four cases that I've got, where the black-eyed kids actually did manage it to get in the house. 
the witnesses said it was almost immediately as if they were kind of like somebody had just hit them with like anesthetic hmm. you know or they were coming round from surgery that kind of thing and everything kind of seemed a little bit spaced out and they weren't sure what was going on it was slightly almost like being in like a matrix kind of world you know but um, it looked like the real world but it it wasn't that kind of thing but in those cases those few cases i've got all of the witnesses said that as soon as the black-eyed children were in the house with them they started to suddenly feel really weak and ill and sick and like their energies were dropping um and one witness sort of described this kind of phenomenon as like how a diabetic might feel you know if they miss breakfast and lunch and then it's nine o'clock at night and they start to get the shakes that kind of thing you know they've just got to eat something um and so that's that's how it comes across as as soon as they're in the house it's like they're literally feeding on the person but in a bizarre way it's almost as if there are certain rules that they have to that they have to abide by before they can actually go through this process you know which is sort of really really weird and strange it is weird and strange and and you've you've drawn the parallel yourself to like the men in black phenomenon like it's almost like a an updated version of it well actually it is i mean that's a good point because you know when people think of the men in black they think of will smith and tommy lee jones you know um because the movies were so successful that yeah. even people who weren't interested in ufology went to see the movies and you know most people you could ask them even people aren't interested in ufos you say who are the men in black they'll say oh those are those guys who shut down ufo investigations or whatever most people know that but the hollywood version is actually very very different to what people describe in the real in the real world now most of the people who've been visited by the men in black um again they sort of usually come late at night you know dressed in black suits skinny black ties white shirt and sort of old 1950s gangster style fedora hats and very often even at night wearing black wraparound sunglasses and people have said that their skin like the like the black-eyed children is literally sort of white white and um their skin kind of looks like plastic you know there's there's no lines creases almost like the like a mannequin kind of situation and um so they don't really kind of look human they're very skinny tall sometimes like seven feet um and they like the black-eyed children it's almost when they threaten people and warn them not to talk about this or that it's almost like it's scripted as it is for the black-eyed children like as if they're programmed somehow to say this um but they too people have reported how that when the men in black were sort of threatening them or staring at them in the living room they too started to feel weak and ill and dizzy and you know as if they were going to pass out and these feelings sort of went on for days after you know the 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 men in black had left so you know, we're dealing with something that clearly has some similarities to the black-eyed children phenomenon, um, except, you know, they appear as, as adults and the others appear as children. Um, but the actual scenario that plays out isn't really that much different. Now, one of the important things to note about the Men in Black stories is that they threaten people. And, of course, that threat 
creates fear in the person. So I think sometimes, if not always, when they threaten people not to talk about what they've seen in terms of UFOs, that could actually be a ruse. You know, that the threat might not be a real threat. It might just be a way to get the person in a state of terror. And when the person's mm-hmm. in a state of terror, they've then got a better chance to mm. bleed them of even energy than, than they could if the person was relaxed, you know. Yeah, and you also talk about in the book how there's, and you've talked about this in, uh, in other places as well, um, how like the most mundane tasks, like eating, yeah. like they, they, they cannot, they just, they can't do. Like they'll they'll go into a restaurant or something and order a steak and just look at it and just like pretend that like they're, like they're just kind of like well the human dot exe is not working there somehow you know. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, I actually wrote about that today. <laughs> yeah. Huh. About um, steaks and um, Jello and the MIB. That'll be an right, article. Right. Yeah. That too, but, um, but yeah, that, that's one of the weird things about the men in black. You know, they seem to drain people of energy, which suggests they are sort of like a paranormal parasite. But physical, um, you know, food as we see it, just they just don't seem to understand it, or you know, it's just not something that they can digest. You know, they there are cases where people have sort of looked at food and liquid as if they'd never seen it before, you know, that they had no idea what it was or even what it was for. Um, you know, there's, there's some very, very strange cases like that where they just don't seem to have any kind of awareness of, of what they're supposed to do with it or even what knives and forks are. Now, if that's true, and there are enough cases, for me at least, to say that this is a genuine part of that phenomenon, then that would arguably, you know, give greater strength to the idea that they sort of are energy-based. You know, they have to live on something, but for them it's energy. It's not something that's actually physical. Right. Yeah. They Yeah. They don't, they don't actually eat as we understand it. No. Yeah. It's very... I guess the best way you could describe it would be, um, you know, kind of plugging in your TV... Or, you know, char- well, no, better, even better one, charging your iPhone, you know, or your smartphone or whatever you've got. You know, you, um, you, you plug the charger in, you attach your phone to it, and what happens? Well, the battery in, in your phone starts to go up from like 60% to 70%, and then it suddenly pings a bit later, and it's reached 100%. You know, and, and that is a case of charging with energy a complex device in this case you know a phone um but you could make the same analogy that energy could be used to fuel a complex supernatural creature yeah you very well could um and and, in a case in point that you use in this um and that's one of your like um in the chapter on night visits you talk about this lady named allison that starts to have these night visits and gets sick yeah well, yeah, that, that's one of the sort of more sinister aspects of this, where some people, you know, have like one-off experiences where, you know, they, they see something in the bedroom, they can't move, they're terrified, they wake up the next day feeling just wiped out. And then 
you know, okay, it was a bit traumatic, but it was a bad dream as they see it, and then they forget about it after a couple of days. But cases like the one you just mentioned about Alison, for example, there are some where the the entities come back. Um, now, in the, in the Men in Black cases and the Black Eyed Children, usually um, people don't have repeated encounters with them, but there are some cases, uh, like some of the ones I talk about in the book, where um, like supernatural things sort of manifest and appear in people's bedrooms, and and they come back and they come back again and again and again, you know, night after night. And um, I talk in the book about several cases like this, um, where one case a young girl um, really did get sick. Um, you know, she dropped you know sort of I think something like ten pounds or something like that over the course of about two and a half weeks and. Um, family was very concerned took her to the doctor and she was a teenager and um the doctor you know asked questions about bulimia and anorexia and um and she said you know i've, I've got nothing like that and um i'm just losing weight and you know her skin started to change color you know sort of just didn't look healthy and um kind of anemic and uh, and so on and her mother got very very concerned about this and um and then she confided in her mother in something that she hadn't said before because she would just thought, you know, mum would think she's lying or she was delusional or whatever, but saw this, you know, this sort of dangerous entity appear and um, that seemed to, to sort of bleed a dry of her energy. And this kept going on. Um, it ultimately came down to a friend of hers, of, the, of her mother, um, who knew quite a bit about sort of alternative health and things like this and um, actually she did kind of like a cleansing of the house and uh, and that actually brought it to a halt and um and i, I actually spoke to uh allison um in person um this experience she had was like 20 years ago and she's you know she lives in arizona now you know she's got a nice life and put it all behind her but you know she said that you know, it was just like the, the worst time in her life. It was as if this thing was just coming back and, like, devouring her, you know, night after night, and no one would listen, you know. Well, she's seen, like, was it kind of like an old hag experience, or was it kind of more like a like a shadow person kind of thing? Well, I would actually say it was somewhere between the two, but, you know, but sort of like a, a humanoid predatory thing that um, sort of had the ability to materialize and dematerialize but which also you know when you saw it up and close it you know it kind of looked physical as well so you know there are some issues that we don't sort of fully understand but she you know 20 years or so after this experience she still fully believes that this thing was there to sort of to feed on her and i was doing so in such a way that you know had had it not been brought to an end you know i mean she could have ended up, you know, like someone who quite literally starved to death, you know, that kind yeah. of situation. Yeah. So these these things can have a real physical effect. You know, I've what I've something that I've noticed um, is that some people that have gone into like paranormal investigations, and that a lot, some of those people will get they will get sick. And mm -hmm. they will they will have like some real serious health problems, and some of them, some people end up dying. Um, mm. So there are I, some I, cases. Huh? You're right. 
I, I don't um, know if that's if that's something that maybe like you're going into areas where there's a lot of mold or some kind of like a pathogen, but it does seem like there's you know there's there's some weird stuff going on without people like like you're putting too much energy into something and getting drained. Yeah, I think I think there's also the possibility that whether deliberately or not, these things seem to give off some sort of energy that can have a very dangerous effect on us. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about like radiation, but the, yeah. the parallels kind of there, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, if an atomic bomb explodes, you know, um, a lot of people, they might think they're safe because they're in the house, you know, but radiation seeps through the walls, the windows, the doors, etc. And before you know it, a week after, you know, you're dying of radiation poisoning, which you can't see, you can't taste. It's like, a, you know, you, you only know when you sort of puffing up blood, you know, etc., etc. And I think it could be something like this that there, that these entities have some sort of an energy that they give off that can have an adverse effect on us. In you know, drawing the parallel with how radiation can affect us. Um, but you know, I'm, I've come across cases involving people who go out on like ghost investigations, mm-hmm. haunted houses and have seen something, and then, you know, a day or two after, they've been hospitalized with this or with that. Um, as if, again, if, like, some sort of strange infection has occurred. Um, in one of my books uh, a couple of years ago, I talked about a guy who um, worked in a bar in Florida, and he told me how he encountered, like, a man in black and a woman in black, and um, they both looked really strange and weird and... Um, that was a creepy story. ...healthy, and, um, and he had an encounter with them, um, and it was he said it was clearly, like, he realised this was something supernatural, and then, like, two days later, he went down with a really sort of rare infection, which the doctor was baffled as to how he'd even developed it in the first place. Yeah, are you familiar with the story of the Dybbuk box? The what, sorry? The Dybbuk box. Are you familiar with that story? No, I'm not, no. Uh, it's this story about um, this little wine box, a Jewish wine box, that um, a guy found in an antique store. Well, he bought it actually at a yard sale. Um, and, like, the movie The Possession is based off of this. But this oh, is okay, this yeah. is supposedly a true story. Uh, you know, how much credence you want to lend to some of it but i think there is there's definitely a clear line of progression that there's lots of people that say you know you know they well so so he bought this box and it started having weird effects on his mother his mother had a stroke he was an antiques dealer and he sold the thing on ebay and he sold it to these college kids and these college kids buy this thing and they start having these symptoms of like basically radiation sickness, just as you described. Like their hair was falling out, they were having their gums were bleeding, like all kinds of things were going on. And there was really nothing inside this box but just like a few little trinkets. I mean, there was nothing radioactive in this thing. So that I've I've heard of that happening, and like there's some there's some serious there's something serious going on with that. Some kind of weird spiritual magic did they ever put the geiger counter to it i don't know i don't know if they <laughs> did that but so there's definitely a parallel there to what you're to what you're talking about yeah and i think um you know whether it's deliberate 
Um, it may not even be deliberate sometimes on their part. It may just be, you know, just us being in proximity to them has an effect on us, you know. Right. Um, and we only find out, you know, when when the person does get sick. Could also depend on the person, like your your own kind of body chemistry, as well. How yeah, it affects you. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think you know that that's another reason why to be wary of you know people who sort of um, you know uh, sort of carry out um, uh, you know uh, programs and things like this to try and pull these things through to call them through from their realms of existence to ours. You know, you sort of. Um, you know, opening like a, a paranormal doorway. I always tell people that, well, you know, if you look at a lot of supernatural experiences, it's easy to open a door. It's not quite so easy mm -hmm. to close it behind you and push back whatever came through. And I think sometimes these things, whatever they are, they just have something built in, in them, if you like, which has a, a totally adverse, dangerous effect on us, whether they're feeding on us or not. You know, it, it, they still affect us. What are some of your personal speculations about the origin of uh, the existence of entities like this and their parasitical relationship to us? Mm. Do you do you think they there's something that have been here, you know, since since the beginning, or that at some point, you know, in some primordial? Uh, civilization you know a gate was opened or what are your thoughts on that well yeah that that's a good question i'll tell you for why because you know skeptics might say well you know this is like a new phenomenon and um you know be, and just the men in black black children a lot of people don't realize that you can actually go back way back to you know the earliest years of human civilization and when you know writing started and things like that for example, if you go back to ancient Babylonia, you know, you had these supernatural entities, uh, the incubus and the succubus. Um, you had sort of male and female supernatural beings that people would wake up in the middle of the night and see either this sort of devilish-like woman or a man um, forcing the, the person to, to have sex with them. And one of these, one of the more sort of infamous examples of these um, sort of supernatural sexual entities is Lilith. Now, if you look at the ancient legends from, like, ancient Babylonia of Lilith and things like this, um, she, again, was like this predatory creature that would have sex with men in the middle of the night, and basically it was to steal their sperm, and then the story was that the, the sperm would be used to create her offspring, which were described as like these devilish um, children and some researchers have suggested well maybe you know this is just uh, the black-eyed children today are the modern version in terms of the name of what people were seeing in ancient Babylonia namely Lilith trying to conjure and create these sort of diabolical devilish children of hers so there's not really that much difference between you know sort of um, like with their with their alien abductions today, you know, people are kidnapped, taken from their beds in the middle of the night. Um, you know, um, eggs and sperm and DNA is taken from right. them, and then people talk about seeing these hybrid aliens. That sounds just like a modern version of Lilith and her, you know, creepy kids. Um, 
So, yeah, I think you can make a very strong case that this is, there's nothing new about this. Um, and in the same way that legends developed back then, we have legends today. Um, some people believe in them, some don't believe in them. Um, but I think there's enough data to suggest these phenomena are real. The problem is, in today's world where we think everything's just, you know, straightforward and science can explain everything, um, they don't think about it. It's, oh, it's just, you had a bad dream, you know, forget about it. And But people don't realize the sheer scale of how this sort of paranormal parasitic activity goes on all the time, all around the world. But people just, you know, just brush it aside, you know. And the gin also too, or another, uh, they're, they're another big part of like this kind of like, if we're talking about an origin story, this whole idea of the gin as being this, like there's the angels, there's mankind, and then there's the gin. And so the gin are almost kind of like, like you could really almost say that they're kind of more like f equivalent in maybe Western society would be like, would be like the fairies. Yeah, I mean the um, well the the gin for people who don't know um, gin it's a, it's a Middle Eastern term for a supernatural being uh, it's spelled D J I N N but it's actually where the term genie comes mm -hmm. from you know like the the TV show I Dream of Genie the the term genie actually comes not from her name but uh, from the Middle Eastern gin now the um, in essence, the um, the jinn are sort of um, energy-based entities, and there's some intriguing evidence that suggests they may be sort of like a plasma type um, of entity. And um, the <coughs> excuse me, the the sort of the the leader, if you like, of the in the old texts of the jinn was Iblis, and his name um, translated as despair, and he is basically sort of compared to Satan, uh, the devil, in, in the Old Testament. And, um, but the, the stories are very similar in the sense that there are certain, like with the, if you look at the, a lot of biblical accounts, and also with the black-eyed children, it's as if they have to follow certain rules and regulations to allow them to do this or to do that. And, um, and the story of the jinn and sort of their fall, so to speak, is actually quite very similar to, you know, the Old Testament story of, um, you know, the devil and, and heaven and hell and so forth. But um, the, according to the old legends, um, the, the jinn themselves were supposedly born out of what was known or called um, smokeless fire. But as I said, um, the, that may have been sort of a distorted, simplistic term for what is basically called uh, plasma. A plasma is basically like a hot ionized gas which consists of um, positively charged ions and negatively charged electrons and um, so one of the theories is that um, that's the form that the the jinn exist in now according to the old legends you know they can be friendly they can be hostile they can be manipulative uh, trickster like and um, but they you know, they essentially sort of feed on people in the same way that they require that energy that so many of these other entities do. But whereas a lot of these other entities just need the fuel or just want the fuel, 
the gin seemed to enjoy playing sort of cruel tricks on people to the point where sometimes it can actually be um, extremely dangerous, you know, where people have reportedly just gone insane because of being, you know, sort of tortured by these yeah. things. And, and so, you know, you, you do have that other angle to it as well. I mean, um, there's actually quite a good... Well, I, think, I think it's a really good movie that starred, uh, starred um, Denzel Washington about 15 years ago, and it's called Fallen, and he plays a police officer oh, yeah. who's... Um, mm-hmm chasing down this or he comes to realize it's like a demonic entity uh, and it actually in the story it, it's you can tell it's very much based on the legends of the jinn um and so you know they 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 are sort of said to be entities that you know don't screw with them at all you know they're sort of perceived as as you know the the one more than any other that if you cross paths with them you know that they can make your life a complete living hell and will do so just because sometimes they just want to do it, you know. Well, they seem like one of those, uh, one of those things that stand out to Westerners, like references to them in the Quran and stuff that it's Mm -hmm. probably some pre, you know, well, it is, pre-Islamic Arabian folklore that was probably just so prevalent, there's no way Muhammad could leave him out. <laughs> you know, it was well, like... One of the things that f- that's fascinating about the jinn that's always kind of... that has fascinated me is that the, the jinn could be good or they could be evil. I think mostly they're evil. But they could also be, they could also be neutral, too. And I've always found that a very fascinating concept. Again, that's that's just like the fairies in a way. Um, like you could really yeah, draw a right. real parallel between the two. I was happy to see that you um, that you quoted Joshua Cutchins' new book in our because Josh is a good friend of ours. So, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's but a great the, book. You're right with the gin. They're very kind of. Um, um, advanced and and intricate and detailed in terms of of their lives you know i mean we don't hear much about the lives of the black-eyed children or the or the men in black you know they just pop up out of nowhere and threaten people and then they're gone but with the jinn you know they're they're described as being sort of highly advanced intricate beings um according to the old legends you know they they love music particularly singing and, and whistling and that actually is part of the story in the Denzel Washington movie, Fallen, where the, the, the supernatural thing jumps from person to person and he's always singing. And um, so that's one of the interesting as- aspects. And, um, and yeah. so, you know, there's, within the old legends, you know, the Quran and so on, uh, of the jinn, they, they are described as extremely sort of um, intricate things with families and uh, and lives of much longer than ours but at the end of the day they are some sort of energy-based thing that's you know is is in some way at least you know um has a has a connection to the human race yeah isn't he singing like time is on my side the rolling stones yeah, right. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the um Here's some a couple that you don't think about in this context of energy parasites. This may be a little more physical, which is even more disturbing, actually. 
Uh, but chupacabras and Bigfoot. Oh. Well, let's talk about that. Well, yeah, I debated whether to put the Bigfoot one in because it's not so much like a supernatural draining of energy, but there are some really weird and sinister stories where Bigfoot creatures may literally have sort of, you know, hunted down people in the woods and basically ate them. You know, I mean, um, there aren't, compared to the number of reports of Bigfoot that are on record of sightings, you know, the number of these sort of odd cases where people have vanished, you know, and um, or bodies have been found in sort of mutilated fashion. They, there aren't as many reports like that as there are sightings, but there are enough cases um, that lead me to think that, you know, that now and again people are in the woods and deep in the forests and these creatures, you know, that perhaps there's been a bad winter, you know, and there's not much food, possibly they resort to, you know, taking out a person. And, um, you know, the, if you actually look at the figures every year that, of people who vanish, and interestingly enough, the number who vanish in um, in United States national forests, you know, there's there's an intriguing story there. And uh, David Politis, um, he's done oh, a lot yeah. of really good with his missing 411 books. Now, David, to his credit, you know, he doesn't like to sort of speculate on this theory or that one. Um, he, you know, has a background in the police, and so, you know, he applies that sort of approach of just going with the evidence and what we know for sure. And, and he's come up with some really weird cases of people who vanished under extremely odd circumstances. And, um, you know, so that idea that, you know, Bigfoot could be sort of... Um, you know, these creatures could sort of hunt us down. Um, it is a very sort of disturbing one. And, of course, you think of these animals sort of eight foot tall and 500 pounds. I mean, at the end of the day, none of us would would stand up well in a fight against something like that. You know, you just would not stand a chance at all. Um, but when, when it comes to the Chupacabra, um, that's a little bit different. I mean, I've been on a lot of expeditions to Puerto Rico, uh, looking for the Chupacabra. The first time I went was um, 2004. The the latest time was just a couple of years ago. And um, and I like I like Puerto Rico a lot. And I actually thought about uh, moving there perhaps one day. So you know I like the San Juan and the the area and the culture and um, you know the lifestyle and everything yeah. else. It's sort of a place. And uh, you know I've got to know a lot of people on the island who have done research into the Chupacabra and investigated cases like veterinarians, police officers, civil defence people, researchers of the paranormal. And all, there are a lot of different theories as to what the Chupacabra is or isn't. You know, you have the idea that it's some sort of alien angle, you know, like, um, you know, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator movie, you know, like it's like on the hunt or something like that, you know. Um, um, that's the one angle, the the extraterrestrial angle. Then you've got um, the idea of some sort of like a giant bat or something like this, or something that survived from the like the Jurassic period, that kind of thing. But there, are, uh, every time I've been to Puerto Rico, I've also heard of um, like supernatural theories that reportedly there are sort of um, occult groups on Puerto Rico that sort of use um, sort of magical rituals, occult rituals, to try and summon these things through from other portals and doorways from other 
from sort of multiple dimensions and bring them forth into our realm of existence. Now, in those cases, um, there's always been that angle as well, where the um, the the, the, the chupacabra is sort of feeding supernaturally on the person who calls them through, or who they direct the the chupacabra to to uh, attach itself to. Oh, um, so I want to stick a, a chupacabra on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite, you know, as uh, simple as that, but it is more along the lines of, you know, calling through this sort of ethereal, not necessarily fully physical thing, and then, you know, um, and have it sort of quite, I guess, in a way, you know, attack a certain person, but it's almost like a curse. But in these cases as well, you know, people have said that... um, They've seen these creatures, you know, in these ceremonies that have been carried out to bring them through, and that some of the people taking part in the ceremonies, they fell sick as well, you know. So again, there's that there's that parallel with dabbling in the paranormal, bringing something through, and then people get ill, you know. Yeah, that was a very strange part of the book. I'd never even thought about that with the chupacabra. Well, I mean, I have to be honest, had it not been for the fact that you know, I have spent so much time on Puerto Rico. Yeah. I would have just, I wouldn't have known of it either because most people think of, you know, the creature as like, like I said, it's some sort of alien creature or just an animal on the island that we don't know about or some sort of genetic experiment. It was only when I sort of got the confidences of the people and ch- chatted with them and they realized, you know, I wasn't going to sort of screw them over and anything like that. I just genuinely wanted to know. I, I, that's when I started to hear from more and more people of, hey, you know, we don't talk about this much, but there are a lot of people who we can put you in touch with who, you know, practice, um, you know, sort of supernatural rites and so on. And then they sort of opened up more that, hey, you know, this is what a lot of us think is the origin of the Chupacabra, this sort of um, ritualistic magic to bring things through from other forms of existence or realms of existence and um but yeah i mean i wouldn't have heard that had i not sort of spent time there and you know got to know the people as well is this like is this like santeria is that what they do they practice that well actually uh, funnily enough um i did an entire book on this called chupacabra road trip a couple of years ago and one of the guys actually told me that one of these groups was, was actually um, an offshoot of Santeria, which is, you know, which is one of their uh, big religions, and which does mm-hmm. actually involve like, um, animal sacrifice and so on, and which was also a part of, these, of some of these other rituals performed to, to bring the Chupacabra through. So, you know, we're not talking about traditional Santeria, but we're talking about offshoots and things like that. Um, and one of the people told me about how this was undertaken at the home of like one a rich guy on Puerto Rico, and the way he described it, it was almost like the whole eyes wide shut kind of scenario, you know, in this big house and everybody yeah. was wearing masks, and um, you know, and then these rituals were performed. It was, you know, it was very similar to that. Yeah, the. the uh Bigfoot. Now, are you going to uh, with Bigfoot? Maybe that he is more of a. We're talking about more of like a, a not a physical creature. Which well, I know, that's becoming I mean, a bigger idea now. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, when I certainly when I was a kid, I just thought you know the Bigfoot was like the 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 American equivalent of like an African gorilla, but we just hadn't found it and we weren't sure what it was. Yeah. Now, the vast majority of people who see Bigfoot do describe what is just like a large ape of some sort, but we don't know what it is. You know, people see it running through the woods or walking through the woods, etc., etc. But there is a small body of reports, and it is admittedly, you know, a small body compared to the just the straightforward sightings. But there are cases where people claim to have seen Bigfoot quite literally vanish in front of them, or the creature will uh, vanish in a flash of light. There are reports where people have seen the creature and it's surrounded by these weird little balls of light, or balls of light are above them in the woods, that kind of thing. Um, some really weird cases where people claim to have sort of had telepathic contact with these creatures and a lot of really strange stuff like that um now of course you know if you're dealing with a regular ape well things like that just don't happen you know you don't have people out in africa see seeing a gorilla and then it just vanishes in front of them it doesn't happen <laughs> yeah um, right never yeah. Will. <laughs> never will you know um but in these cases although it clearly seems to be like a, a physical component. There also seems to be almost like a, a supernatural component as well. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in that the Bigfoot creatures do exist, but I'm not just fully convinced that they're just unknown apes. I think there's something about Bigfoot that it explains why it's so elusive, but I'm not sure what it is. You know, it could be portals and doorways to other you know, dimensions, possibly. That's an interesting theory that a lot of people talk about, that Bigfoot isn't always in our reality, that it flits in and out of our reality. And that, you know, that might explain why in a country like the US, we cannot catch even one eight-foot-tall, 400-pound <laughs> creature, you know. We, sh we should be able to get at least one. Um, because bag and been tag, reported. man, bag and tag, and they're out there hunting, so you'd think they get one. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, they've been reported in every state apart from Hawaii for obvious reasons, you know, because it's an island. Um, but in just about every other state, there have been a lot of reports. Um, we even got reports like from Nevada, you know, into the desert, uh, which is really strange. But, you know, with 300 plus million people in the country, right. drive cars late at night through the woods, you would think... By now, we would have hit one or we'd have found a body, etc., etc. So I think possibly the, the overwhelming elusiveness of Bigfoot could just be because, for the most part, it's not in our reality, and perhaps we only really ever see it when it is in our reality, you know. Well, you know, I've said it before, but, you know, I've, I've always thought, you know, the, the Western part of the United States, I'm more like, even though there's weird cases there, I'm more likely yeah. to believe that because you've got much more of a land area and you've got, you know, you've those, those forests are huge. And so mm -hmm. something could hide out there. That's a, that's a possibility, but the further East you go, the more populated you get. And also mm -hmm. the stories get weirder and weirder. Yeah. Well, I mean, a good example, a friend of mine, Stan Gordon wrote a book called silent invasion a few years back and that's all about a wave of Bigfoot activity in Pennsylvania yep. in the early to mid-70s. And Stan got Chestnut some really Ridge. weird stories where 
people had seen Bigfoot and they'd been visited by the men in black or they'd seen yeah. strange light in the sky um, where Bigfoot was seen. It was like the, the, the lights were literally illuminating the creatures in the fields and the woods. And, um, you know, cases like that sort of demonstrate to me, you know, we're dealing with something that's, that's beyond just an, an, an unknown ape. Now, you know, I have a lot of good friends in the Bigfoot field who are absolutely 100% convinced that it is nothing but just an American ape that we haven't classified it as to what it is. And maybe that is the answer, I don't know. But for me, these weirder aspects kind of really intrigue me because arguably we shouldn't have any cases like that if it's just a normal animal. There shouldn't be any reports like that. But, but there actually are, you know, more than a few of them. Yeah, the um, is that Chestnut Ridge? I think is the, the one of the main yeah places yeah, that, of just yeah, total a good weirdness. Yeah, uh, cannot let you go, Nick, without telling this story. Um, this one I've I have heard this one before, but this is the one about the the soldiers in Vietnam that saw something very disturbing in a clearing. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, this is, again, one which falls not so much into, like, a supernatural category, but another example of how we might be fed on, literally, like, you know, as if Bigfoot's sort of, um, you know, uh, chasing us down. But this story um, came from the late Leonard Stringfield. Leonard Stringfield was a UFO researcher who lived in Ohio, and um, he started to get into the UFO subject um, in the early 50s, but he'd actually um, had his own encounter when he was um, in 1946, when he was in the U.S. military, and he saw this sort of stra- this series of like strange balls of light, which were similar to the what became known as the Foo Fighters in the Second World War. Which, for people who don't know, that's where the, the band got their name from. These sort of strange balls of light um, flitting around the skies, um, and the Germans thought. It was a secret weapon of us, and uh, we thought it was a secret weapon of theirs, but that they saw these sort of strange balls of light flitting around. And Stringfield never forgot that experience. And so when, you know, the whole flying saucer phenomenon kicked off in 47, he started to take an interest and um, did a lot of research and wrote a number of good books on the subject. Now, like most authors, you know, people contacted with their own accounts and... Um, one of the ones that reached Stringfield was one that occurred at the height of the Vietnam, uh, Vietnam War, and it involved a unit of U.S. Um, personnel, sort of like highly trained, um, you know, squads, assassination squads, that kind of thing, you know, to take out um, North Vietnamese units, that kind of thing. And they were reportedly walking through the, you know, the forested areas, approaching one particular area where they were to take out a North Vietnamese team and they saw this spherical object it wasn't like a flying saucer it was literally like a globe like completely you know circular like a like a soccer ball and um, what happened was that they sort of stumbled onto it and they were sort of literally almost frozen to the spot you know they were trying to take on North Vietnamese personnel what they actually saw were these sort of about five-foot-tall, skinny, large-headed creatures that were reportedly taking human body parts um, into these large bins 
and throwing them in and then sealing these bins and then loading them on the under on excuse me loading them on the craft but from the under part of the craft and um and they said that the Stringfield source um bear in mind that you know Stringfield was actually a, a well decorated member of the US military you know so someone who could be trusted etc and his source was like a high ranking uh, member of the military and he said that um they saw according to the unit they saw what looked like to be North Vietnamese people and um, white people and black people taken on board as well, which may have been, you know, the the, the white men and the, the you know the, the black people could have been, you know, U.S. troops, and of course the others were, were the North Vietnamese ones, That's... and they were all reportedly, you know, these body parts. They, they weren't bodies; they were body parts were being loaded on into these bins and then there was like a firefight where some of the troops were killed and one or two of the aliens were then reportedly they were debriefed by the cia and then subjected to uh at least some of the team was subjected to like uh, mind-altering um chemicals and so on to try and make them forget what they actually saw so this is like a really weird and, and creepy story you know that's um that sort of makes you wonder, you know, how deep does this aspect of, you know, us being used as a food source, how far does it really go, you know? Yeah, that, that reminds me, there's a lot of lore about creatures being at battle sites. We had a guest on, we were talking about local Civil War lore, about pe- people seeing things feeding on the corpses on the yeah, battlefield. The green eyes. That's what that sounds yeah. like, yeah, it's weird. Well, again, you know, I mean, you could make a case. I mean, what's more traumatic and, you know... Gonna, yeah, yeah. You've got all these high-energy things like sex, death, yeah. all, yeah. you know, I mean, birth. I mean, most of us don't get... You know, most people don't fight in a war. You you get to see it on CNN or whatever, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you're in the height of battle, I mean, it must be terrifying, you know, bun, guns flying around, your friends being killed. I mean... You know, you could easily see how people's, you know, energy levels and, you know, sense of terror and fear, etc. I mean, it it would just go through the roof, you know. Yeah, I, I want to believe that that story is apocryphal because if that's true, that's like probably the most disturbing story I've ever heard. <laughs> well, it is. And I mean, one thing, when I wrote it up, I mean, you know, I realize it, it is a controversial one. But I mean, I think the important thing to note is that, as I said, um, Stringfield was a, you know, a decorated military officer, you know, um, and on top of that, um, he went on the record as saying that, you know, his source was someone who he'd come to know and was a high-ranking member of the military. And I don't see any reason for Stringfield to, to lie, you know. I mean, he, he was a he was a well-respected UFO researcher, yeah. as I said, with a with a with a you know a, a good solid military background i want to sleep tonight nick thank you I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <but you're> not... <laughs> nick thank you so much this has been awesome yeah um, great show man tell people where uh they can get the book and uh, your other books you said you were this you think this is number 48 so they're about um I'd have to count them, but I can't be bothered. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But, yeah, it's round about coming up to 50. But the new one, Paranormal Parasites, um, 
You can get it off um, Amazon. It's also available on the shelves in Barnes and Noble. And uh, all my books you can get on Amazon. And about 60% of them you can get off uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, and if people want to contact me, probably the best way is just uh, fire me a Facebook message. And, um, you know, I'm always happy to chat with people. And, um, you know, if they've got any questions about cases or they want some advice on something that's happened to them, you know, I'm always happy to to take time, you know, to speak to people. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there are a lot of Nick Redferns, um, surprisingly, on Facebook. But uh, luckily, if you, you type them in, type my name in, I'm at the top. So um, so it makes it easier, you know, to find me. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out. Okay. And, guys, we'll be right back on to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. Time. Yep. Live feed real time. You got to uh, blow your blow your nose there. Put some fix on. Put out there working in the cold. Yes. Um, I'm, I've been drafted on Hoth for the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real pain in the ass. You got any thoughts on that uh, interview we just did? I always love having Nick on. He's one of my one of my favorite guests. The guy is really like. I mean, he's such a prolific author and. and also, just such a wealth of information too. How he can memorize all that. I yeah. Mean, he just, I mean, the guy. I've I've had the privilege of meeting Nick in person. I mean, he is just as, just like as you hear on the on the. You know, he he gets to, uh, he gets good conversations with the guy. It's really, really cool. But I know you got some doubts on some of that stuff, like the paranormal parasite stuff. I mean, I I just I don't know the. Um... I don't I don't really I don't know what I think. It's not that I'm um you know, I mean, you know me, I'm not a total materialist at all. Yeah. But I don't know what it is and a lot of me uh thinks that a lot of this stuff is psychological, but my definition of what psychological is is a lot more expansive. Mm-hmm. And um in a way I don't know if like as psychological phenomenon if if like it, it that we birth all these things and that's to say also that thought forms you know can create you know we can create independent things that become out of our control and you know my interest in a lot of like eastern concepts i think have uh influenced me in in that dimension also so I did, I'm just totally agnostic about it, really. Yeah. I think there's something to all this, but I have, I don't have uh, like any kind of faith that it that uh, of what it is at all. It's just totally agnostic. Yeah, I I mentioned before about the gin, about the uh, the good, the evil, and the neutral, and that the fact that you could have that 
that tradition I think is really interesting because that's unlike some of the others where you have like this there's either good angels bad angels there's nothing in between Jinn are generally considered to be kind of like people and in that way they're kind of analogous to the fairies mm-hmm. like I was saying like a more western civilization so there's almost this like overlap there of just the same beings but we're just calling them by different names depending on the culture. And I think yeah, we're beginning totally to find that. out that these entities, if they exist, and I know that's a that's a big if, because honestly, some of this stuff is just by what you believe and then also by what somebody experiences. Like yeah, you can hear yeah. stories all day long, but if you don't experience it yourself you might have a different uh, viewpoint on it. But, you know, I do believe that these that these, that these entities exist. So I find it fascinating that these, these things exist and they exist under different names, and it's because of that people tend to get confused. And But we're starting to kind of really figure out that these may all be the same kind of thing. Yeah. That, uh, that I find really, really fascinating. And then the whole idea, like, you know, Greg Bishop talks about the co-creation theory, about whether or not that is something that is we are part of the equation basically to our interactions with with these entities so yeah i always loved it. Uh, this was one i've wanted to talk about for a while is kind of like this whole idea like paranormal parasites and i know ren uh collier is also kind of into this whole idea well, about, we we've kind of riffed on this too about um, kind of the Lovecraftian angle of this, and yeah. then that bleeds into the conspiracy world, and you know whether um, you you know you have this current uh, back to Gnosticism of uh, the the worldly powers and their interaction with the. Mm-hmm. The, the political and actual yeah. worldly powers and you know it's it's gets gets kind of weird and um no matter you know how much faith you have in it when you you know you see elements of of things with with the elites and it's like kind of like what is this about is this you know it, it feels like that type of thing <laughs> i'll just mm-hmm. put it at that you mm-hmm. know uh, or at least the symbolism is intended to be, you know, to to uh, state that this kind of relationship is going on, even if it's just this allegorical story or something abstract like that. Like it, these types of themes are put out there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's weird. We've talked about that before. And yeah, it all connects together in some kind of weird way. Yeah. But you yeah. can't quite put your finger on it. Um, interesting that you mentioned that because we've talked about with Walter Bosley, who we're going to have come back on here in a future date pretty soon. Um, but he's talked a lot about this whole, you know, Hecate and Hecate worship. Yeah. One of those that is kind of a analogous to Hecate, in my opinion, and his opinion and others opinion is Santa Merte. And, this was interesting. Um, someone sent this to me that is a friend of the show. 
And this is ha- something that happened in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is what? what Clarksville's maybe like, what, 30 miles from us? Yeah, it's that. about an hour away, yeah. roughly. And it's the major military town of Tennessee. Right, yeah. Um, Fort Campbell was yep. there. So there was, well, I'll just read this article and kind of get your thoughts on this. Failed human sacrifice to Santa Marte sends two to jail on attempted murder charges. Clarksville, Montgomery County Crime Stoppers. Okay, hold on. Two people have been arrested on attempted murder charges after a man said they stabbed him inside a Clarksville mobile home and told him they were going to sacrifice him to Santa Marta. The saint of the death, according to their arrest warrants. Santa Marte, a folk Mexican folk deity, is associated with protection and delivery to the afterlife. While condemned by the Catholic Church, a religion based on the figure has several million followers worldwide, the BBC reported last year. A third suspect was also accused but had not yet been arrested, although there is an active warrant for his arrest in Montgomery County. The stabbing happened December 26, 2017, but the man accused of starting the attack wasn't arrested until Tuesday when police were finally able to find him. Jose Raul Mendez told police he was inside a mobile home on Power Street with the trio when Bernardino Rodriguez Molina began crying. When he asked him why, Molina told him, (laughs) you are about to die. (laughs) Damn. He said that he was going to sacrifice Mendez to Santa Marte. He ordered another man and woman to lock the doors and windows to keep him from escaping, according to his arrest warrant. The two complied, and Mendez said he ran to a bedroom, but was captured by the suspect, stabbed in the left forearm, struck in the head with a knife, and punched. Molina snatched his phone to prevent him from calling police. One of the three yelled for Molina to finish the job, but Mendez escaped through a window, according to the warrants. Mendez said the three got in a truck, yelling they were going to catch him, but he hid, and they drove past him. He then ran to another home and asked a man to call police. The trio spotted him at the man's front door, so he fled and hid at another mobile home until police arrived. Mendez was taken to Tenova Healthcare for a stab wound, swelling to his left eye and bruising to his ribs, according to the warrant. Clarksville police searched the mobile home where Mendez was attacked and found Molina's ID and blood evidence. According to the warrant, the occupants were gone. Warrants were issued for their arrest February 23rd. Sarah Colleen Miller, 31, was arrested February 23rd and indicted on charges of attempted first-degree murder and especially aggravated kidnapping. On Tuesday, Molina, 41, was arrested on charges of attempted murder, especially aggravated kidnapping and aggravated assault. There is an active warrant for the third person listed as taking part in the attack. Daniel Rodriguez Molina, Clarksville Police Spokesman Jim Noel, confirmed Thursday, but it has not been served and he remains at large. So, attempted <laughs> sacrifice. sacrifice to Santa Marta, which I've got Sergio's candle to Santa Marta in my hand right now. I don't know. It sounds like more like the saint of meth than the saint of death. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I've heard some things about Santa Marte, and I've never heard human sacrifice associated with me neither. But Santa Marte, 
But I mean, how many, <laughs> how many rednecks have gotten, uh, you know, uh, have tried to sacrifice people to the devil, or you know, I mean, it's you know, listening to too many Judas Priest albums. Yeah, I mean, it's you know. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting since it's something in our local area. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully it's not too much of a trend. Hey, people get sacrificed every day, B. <laughs> Don't sacrifice people to Santa Meritic. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to leave it there, guys. Um, next episode, we have Cisco Murdoch and Steve Stockton coming back. And they're going to talk about their new book, which is about Cisco's. Uh, experiences paranormal experiences and also a little bit of steve's we did talk to them early last year 2017 uh but we're gonna try to 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 get some some new ground and get some updates on things that are going on at both their lives and um you guys may have noticed if you're listening regularly that uh there's been a lack of rob we've not He's not been around. We've been recording in Studio B now for about... This is the third straight episode. Um, so hopefully he will be returning. Um, he's been extremely, extremely busy. And we, we do want to say that we do miss him. We miss and you, Rob. We hope that he does return. But uh, Sergio's been doing a fine job. And I'm sitting here drinking scotch out of the bottle like Rob does. Yeah, you're turning into him. You're turning into Rob. You need to grow your hair out a little bit longer. <laughs> it grow doesn't, your a it doesn't longer. grow as much as his. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we do want to say that we do miss him. So, uh, Also, guys, Patreon, uh, that is still a going concern. So if you guys want to support the show, we do have some Patreon episodes up. And we do have some ideas about some things that we can do that do not include getting talking our guests into doing our patron into doing Patreon. And we're probably about to hit you with commercials, but they're gonna be cool conspiranormal commercials. Yeah, yeah. So we you know, we are we are struggling to get to about a hundred dollars, guys, so get us back past that point. You know, people do drop off, which is understandable. Uh, but it is www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, you can also leave a one-time donation on the website, which is conspiratonable.com, and there is a button there for donate. So, any last thoughts or anything you want to say, Mr. Serfiel? No, that was a pretty cool show, man. That was, yeah. that was great. Yep. I've been looking at your uh, iSpy magazine. Yeah, I got some night. awesome total trash spy magazine from england very strange stuff there's a lot of obsession with russia which is a whole other story so all right thank you guys and we will be back next week on conspiranormal miss you rob
know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.